Welcome back to Fake News, your no-spin zone for all things Christian, covering lies we believe. I'm your host, Dewey Sprinkles. We all have things we'd like to change about ourselves. Change is a popular topic. It even became a part of our presidential campaign in recent years. So, we should be able to change overnight, right? Stop cussing, done. Lying, <laughs> not anymore. Stop eating too many sweets? Well, let's not get carried away. Maybe we should heed the advice of Paul in 1 Corinthians and beat our bodies into submission to help us in these areas. I mean, the Bible does say, gouge out your eyes if they cause you to sin or even, even chop off your hands. And for those who don't like this idea, there's always the keto diet because eating meat and cheese solves everyone's problems. Next week, we'll discuss the top 10 replacement swear words for true Christians. I'm your host, Dewey Sprinkles. Until next time, this is Fake News. Lies we believe. Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? You doing good? So good to see you. I'm Dewey Sprinkle. <laughs> I love those videos. Curry and those guys doing a great job on that. But it's so good to see you this morning. How many of you would agree with me that America is an incredibly impatient society? Don't look at anybody. But, you know, I mean, just it's the truth. I and mean, we live in an instant society. We want everything quick. Microwave takes 12 seconds and we're thumbing. Oh, come on, come on, come on. What's the deal? I, I'm going to show my age. But I remember the day, some of you guys will relate to this. I remember the day when if you needed information, you got in the car, you drove to a thing called a library. It was a building thing. Some of you don't know what that is, but anyway, there was one. And you hoped against hope that they had a book with the information in it. And if they didn't, they would call the other libraries in the county and they would get one shipped over that would take two or three days. And you'd finally find a book and you'd finally get your information and you were so excited you found it. And nowadays... We pull it all out our little smartphone and we just type our little question in there and boom, 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 there it is. Uh, I, I, but if it takes more than five seconds to come back to your phone, what do you do? Come on, you know what you do. What's wrong with this thing? Man, just, what's the deal? Now understand the dynamic of what's happening. You have typed in an obscure question. It has left your phone, gone to a satellite in outer space. It has bounced off that satellite searched the entire planet for the answer, found it, gone back to the satellite, and bounced back to your phone, and if it takes more than five seconds, you're going, what's the deal? I need my information now. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. That's exactly what we do. We live in an instant society. We want everything R-A-T, right now. That's when we want it. And, and marketing people don't help because they convince us that if you buy this product, you'll be instantly happy, right? Buy our car, you'll have beautiful women around you right away. That's just the way it works. All you got to do is do that, right? Join our gym and you will have a flat stomach in just 10 minutes a day. I don't have a flat stomach. I, this is not a six-pack. This is two two liters is what that is. That's, that's, and make it worse, watch a sitcom. You, you can have a sitcom family, and they will have the most horrendous problems that any family could have, and they solve the problem in 30 minutes, and they're all happy. 
That's the world we live in. No wonder we start to believe that, you know, whatever the issue is, I can change. I can change overnight. Things could be better tomorrow. That's all there is. For those of you that are new, we're in a series we're calling Fake News, Lies We Believe. And what we're simply doing uh, is challenging some of those ideas that get perpetrated on us in the culture. And some, sometimes so insidiously, they wouldn't even realize that it's there. It's kind of subliminal and it, and it hits us and we buy into it. We don't even realize it. But in fact, they simply aren't true. And what we're trying to do in this series is, is help us to challenge our worldview and ask ourselves the question, do I have a biblical worldview. We've looked at a definition every week. Let's look at it one more time. Here it is on the screen. Here we go. Uh, Worldview is, read it with me, one, two, three, go. The overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world, a collection of beliefs about life and the universe held by an individual or a group. I've said every week, whether you know it or not, whether you call it worldview or not, you have one. You filter everything through this system of beliefs and ideas and filters Uh, to gauge whether they're true or not. The problem, again, is that sometimes our worldview is a collection of beliefs that simply aren't true. And we don't even realize they're not true. Therefore, we always are reaching for the abundant life that Jesus promised, and they never come. So here's what we're doing. We're challenging those ideas week by week. Today, of course, we're challenging the notion that change is quick, or perhaps on the other side of the equation, that, that you can't really change. Nobody ever really changes. Come on. A leopard can't change his spots, right? But you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, the reality is nobody ever changes. Am I right? Then what are we doing here? God bless you. Thanks for coming. Go get some brunch. I mean, if nobody ever changes, what's the point? But that's the reality that the culture would have us believe. And what I want you to know the truth is that change is possible in the power of the Holy Spirit, but change is often not quick. Change is a process. Real change happens over time. And so what I want to do in the few minutes we've got this morning is I want to lay that process out for you. I've identified six phases to this process. And as quickly as I can, I'm going to walk you through those six phases. If you couldn't find a parking place today, sorry, I kept first service a little longer than I should have. I'll try not to do it to you. Uh, No promises, however. Uh, We're going to walk through the six phases of the change process that I've seen from experience and and believe the scriptures present, and then I'm going to ask you to lean into this process and understand it and embrace it. The second thing I want to do is I want you to help to understand, I want to help you to understand the feelings that are associated with each of these steps, and then the action steps from it. So identify the process, understand the feelings associated with it, and then let's make a commitment to the action steps. If there's ever been a time that you want to go to the bridge church nc app and pull it up and read the notes this would be the day to do it save it to your journal and take notes if you don't want to do that there's a note card in your in your table your chairs pull that out take some notes email us this week info at bridgechurch.cc i'll send you my very notes this is one of those that's worth keeping processing through thinking through becoming a part of your life let's get into it before we start the phases though let me remind some of you and introduce to some of you others my belief that there are only two approaches to life available to us. There is what is called think, act, feel, which simply means I think about what needs to happen, I act on what I know to be true, and then I let the feelings come as a result. Or there is feel, act, think. This is how I feel. I will act according to my feelings, and then I'll think about it later. Which one of those two do you think God calls us to do? 
It's not feel, act, think. Just it's not a trick question. It is think, act, feel. Understand what the truth is. Act on the truth and then let the feelings follow. Am I saying feelings are bad? Say, no, I'm not saying feelings are bad. I'm saying in the train of life, let feelings be the caboose, not the engine. That's all I'm saying. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to identify the feelings. We're going to commit not to operate by our feelings. We're going to take some action steps, and we're going to embrace the change process that God takes us through. Ready to get into it? You ready? You need me to explain that some more before we get into it? You ready? Okay, let's do it. You didn't, come on, work with me, guys. Let's do this thing. Phase one is what I call the concern phase. Concern phase just simply says, ah, there's something out of whack. Ah, sometimes you don't know what it is. It just kind of feels weird, out of step. Sometimes you know exactly what it is. You just don't know what to do about it. Uh, but you know something's got to be done one of these days. Anybody here ever been in concern phase? God bless that hand. I see that hand. How many are in concern phase right now on some area of your life, your life, your marriage, your finances, your ministry, your career? I mean, just concern is a reality of life. We know there is something. We may not be know exactly what it is, but something's got to happen. Uh, the tragic reality is that if you operate from feeling, uh, you may get stuck because the feeling at this stage is discomfort. It's restlessness. It's kind of, oh, I don't like this. And because we don't like those feelings, if you operate from feelings, you will pull back. You'll go into denial. You'll, you'll compartmentalize. You'll say, I, I just don't want to deal with that right now. We'll get to that eventually. One of these days uh, becomes none of these days quite often. And the tragedy is that I've seen an awful lot of people go their whole lives with unresolved pain and unresolved conflict and unresolved restlessness simply because they refuse to deal with it until things get worse and worse and worse, and they have to do something. So what's the action step if you're in the concern phase? All of you have identified that you have been or are in it. What's your action step? It's listen for God's voice. Don't act rashly. Don't act too soon. Just pause and listen to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Job chapter 33, verse 19, for God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. In a dream as they slumber, he may speak in their ears with warnings, or a man may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress. That says to me simply that God is talking all the time. He's speaking to us all the time. It's kind of like TV waves. They're in the air or Wi-Fi signals. They're in the air all the time. The only question is, do you have the equipment to tune in and pick those waves up? That's the only question. Well, the same thing is true with us. Uh, God is speaking. The only question is, are we tuned in? And, and, and just throw this in for free. You don't have to put any extra in the offering for this. I, I find that the reason we don't hear God is usually one of four things. I, it might, it, for many of us, it's time. We're just too busy to slow down and listen. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. God's calling you, and he's getting a busy signal every time. Come on, that's, that's reality. The, the second one quite often is pride. This belief that I got this, I'm fine, it's no big deal, I got this, you know, somebody else's problem, it's pride. Quite often, it is bitterness, there's something that's got us into concern, it has to do with something that somebody did or didn't do, but instead of forgiving them, we're holding on to it, which blocks the voice of God from getting through, and for many of us, it's just simply fear. I'm afraid of what he's going to say, kind of like going to the doctor and I don't want to hear him say you got cancer, so I'm going to pretend this isn't real until eventually it gets so bad that he can't do anything about it. Hear me, guys. Whatever's going on, if you're in concern phase, don't compartmentalize it. Don't live in denial. Deal with it. But your action step is, God, what are you trying to say in this season 
of my life. Okay, Jim, I, I hear you, but how do I know for sure that I'm hearing from God? Well, in fact, I wrote a booklet that's available to you. It's out there in the bookstore. It's absolutely free. And I called it, uh, did I just hear from God or did I eat too much pizza last night? I mean, it's just it's a simple way for you to evaluate an idea and say, did this come from God or is this some other crazy source? In fact, there's a, a card in the back of it that you can peel out and put in your wallet and uh, it walks through seven filters, I call it. If this idea passes through all seven filters, then it might in fact be from God. If it doesn't pass through all seven, it ain't from God. Okay, so if that's a meaningful tool to you, then go stop by the bookstore, pick up a copy of that, absolutely free. Put them in your hands, put that card in your wallet, and go on your way. So if you're feeling restless, unsettled, congratulations, you've entered into the change process. Ready for phase two? You ready for phase two? Phase two, thank you. <laughs> phase two is crisis. That's when you've lived in concern to the point that it's reached a crescendo Something's got to happen now. You, you can't ignore it anymore. Here it is. Your spouse says, I can't take this anymore. The debt collectors are calling saying, we're about to take your house. The doctor says, it's bad. Something happens that you cannot ignore this any longer. You're now in crisis. Somebody says sometimes those things are all rolled together. Like the couple that went to the doctor one time and, and, uh, and the doctor said, I'm sorry to give you the news, sir, but you have about six weeks to live. And uh, I'm just really sorry, but that's the truth. And the guy said, well, thanks, Doc, for telling me. And he said, now, before you guys go, uh, I'd like to have a moment with your wife, if that's all right. And so the husband said, okay. And he, he stepped out. He went on to the car, and he said to the wife, he said, now, what you need to understand is that, is that I believe your husband's issue is as much uh, emotional, psychological as it is physiological. And I believe that if you build his self-worth, he might actually could beat this thing. And, and she said, well, okay, well, what do I need to do? He said, well, you need to compliment him every day. You need to tell him that he is the king of his castle. You need to fix his favorite meal at the end of every day. When you go out to dinner, you need to let him pick the restaurant. When you go on vacation, you need to let him decide where you're going on vacation. You need to make him believe that he's king of the world. And she said, and he can beat this thing if I do? He said, I sincerely believe he could. So she says, well, thanks, Doc, for telling me. She goes out to the car. She gets in the car, and her husband says, well, what did the doctor say? She said, he said you're going to die. <laughs> Don't email me this week. It was just a joke. It didn't happen, okay? <laughs> but hear me, guys. We get into crisis mode, and the feeling is intense pain. It's Ah, if you weren't here last week, you missed the message on how God uses pain, then email us or go to, to our website and watch that video uh, because hear me, Gaia, God is at work even in your pain. And if you'll recognize it, you're entering into phase two of the change process. So what's your action step if that's where you are right now? Accept God's comfort. Just accept, accept his comfort. Isaiah 42, 3, God will encourage the faint-hearted, those tempted to despair. Can I tell you one of the things that God always says in concern in crisis mode? He, this is what he always says. I know. I care. I'm there. I can do something about it if you'll let me. Every time. That's what he says. I know it's tempting when, when it's painful and things are hard. It's tempting to, to get mad. And sometimes we're not mad at God necessarily, but we don't know who else to direct it to. So we just kind of take it out on him. And if that's where you are, then God sent me to tell you, 
he's a big boy, he can take it, he won't zap you for it, okay? But when you get over it, when you get past it, let him in, let him comfort you, let him speak life into your pain because he wants to take you through this entire process to become who you can be. Crawl up in his loving arms and say, Lord, I don't fully understand this, but I know you have a way of working everything into a pattern for good. All I have to do is love you back, and I need you to do that in my life. When you do, hope for positive change is born, which then makes it easier to endure the pain. In fact, one of the reasons that some people have so much difficulty enduring pain is because they're hopeless. You take a hopeless person, they can't deal with stuff. But when you have hope that this is temporary, it's amazing what we can endure. But understand, you cannot stay in crisis mode forever. You eventually have to move to phase three. So phase one, pop test time. Phase one is concern. Phase two is crisis. Phase three is choice. You can't ignore it any longer. You, you can't just live in this pain. Something's got to go. I, I either have to accept responsibility for what's happening or I have to blame somebody. I have to believe that God wants to bring good out of this or I have to and cooperate with him or I have to get mad and pull away. I can't just stay here anymore. And I'll tell you what I've seen through the years, um, that, that one of three or four choices uh, is, is often what people take that does not lead to change. I've watched people come to this choice point and they chose to escape maybe through drugs or, or alcohol or, or watching soap operas or having an affair or something, they, they find a way to do something else that releases some phenethylmermans, I call them, endorphins in your brain uh, to avoid what's going on. Other people just slip into down mode. They just go down and, and, they, and they sleep a lot and and sometimes there's a thing called clinical depression that has to be dealt with medically. But sometimes depression is the result of a choice that you've made to not deal with something. And, and you bury it and it starts eating you alive, the scriptures say. I've seen some people escape hiding at church. You ever seen that? Well, they're just so busy. They're, they're so active. They're, they're serving here and serving there and doing this and doing that. And, and you think, man, these, those people are wonderful. They're in love with Jesus, and they might be. But in fact, what they're doing is running from something that they don't want to have to slow down and deal with. All I'm saying is when you come to choice mode, your only choices are escape or deal because status quo is no longer an option. So what are the feelings of this phase? It's often fear. I, it, this can be a scary time. This is, can be a confusing time. Well, what's going to happen now? If I make these choices, where will they lead? What does the future hold? It can be a really scary time. And I need to warn you before we get to the action step of this thing, don't be surprised if the pain gets wussa before it gets better. Sorry, i tell you the truth. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better because all you've really done so far is added confusion to your existing pain. Oh, Jim, this is the most encouraging sermon you've ever given. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth, okay? Let, let me put it this way. How many of you ever decided to get in shape? Anybody here? Just I'm just going to get in shape. What a lazy bunch of people. I can't believe. <laughs> so those of you who did, the few of you who did, uh, and you went to the gym and you worked out one day, how did you feel the next day? Better or worse? Worse, because it hurts. 
You, I call it muscle awareness. <laughs> it just it hurts before it gets better, and that's just the reality of choice phase. When you decide to deal, it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's reality, uh, and it's important that you know that because if you aren't careful, you'll bail before the benefits kick in. So uh, hear me, uh, choice is huge. I've seen so many people come to this point, and they get scared about what's going to happen, and they start feeling feelings that they never felt before, and, and their whole identity is wrapped up in who they used to be, and, and they're not sure who they're going to be if they get past this thing. It is incredibly tempting when you come to this point of the process to say, forget about it. I ain't doing this. Staying sober just doesn't work for me. This getting out of debt thing is for the birds. It's too hard. This healthy lifestyle, eating healthy, eating cardboard, I can't do this anymore. It was wrong for me to think I can change, other people can change, I can't change. And if that's where you are, please hear me this morning. You have not made a mistake. It's part of the process. Those thoughts are going to come. So what's your action step in this phase? Your action step is focus on God, not your circumstances. Focus on God, not your circumstances. Jonah chapter 2, verse 7. Some of you know the story of Jonah. If you don't, let me just give you a quick synopsis. God called Jonah to go do something he didn't want to do, so he ran the other way. He got the other way as far as he could go, got into crisis mode, had a choice to make. He had to do something. And so Jonah chapter 2, verse 7, here's what he did. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. Redemption, change, was on the other side of focusing on the Lord. And here's what the Lord says when you come to him in that season. Isaiah 43, 2, when you go through deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. You may feel like it. It may look like it. But you won't. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. So when you find yourself tempted to bail, this is too hard, this is too much, I'm going to drown, I'm going to burn up, I can't do this, remember, focus on God, not your circumstances. Can I give you a little tool that might help you? Work with me a little bit, okay? It might be embarrassing, especially if you're a really cool dude, but work with me. Make a fist for me, okay? Just make a fist for me, okay? Now, with your other hand, I, want you, I don't care which hand, but with your other hand, I want you to just wave your fingers. You with me? Okay, put your stuff down if you need to. Okay, here we go. Now, I want you to put your fingers close to your face and keep waving them. And then I want you to put your fist out here. Can you see your fist? Can you? Yeah, uh, kind of obscured, but you can see it. Now, reverse it. Bring your fist in close to your face and keep waving your fingers out there. Can you see your fingers? They disappeared, didn't they? No, they're still there, but you've got your focus here, therefore you can't see that. That is the rock of your salvation. His name is Jesus Christ. These are your circumstances. Come on. So if I pull up to a stoplight tomorrow sometime and and pull up beside you and I see you in your car going, I go, Yeah, that's a bridge, peeps, all right. That's one of ours. Yay. 
Phase four is comprehension phase. Now we're moving forward. We've made the choice to do this God's way, to focus on him, not our circumstances. And now we move into comprehension phase. Now we're beginning to understand a little bit better about what's going on. We find ourselves thinking differently. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is what we're talking about. Be changed within by what? A new way of thinking. That says to me, we don't really change until we change our minds. Pastor Andrew, our Mount Olive location uh, lead pastor, uh, was doing some research on this subject. Obviously, they're preaching the same subject in our other locations as well. And he did a little research. And he told me this week he ran across some research by Dr. Donald Hebb, H-E-B-B, if you want to research it yourself. Not now, later on. He's a neuropsychologist and studies the brain and that kind of stuff. And he says, let me read it exactly the way he says it. Neurons that fire together wire together. In other words, pathways begin to form. Literally, the way they describe it is when you have a thought, it's like an electrical charge shoots across your brain. When you have the same thought over and over, then those similar uh, electrical impulses shoot across the similar pathway until it begins to, to wear a rut in your brain so that you naturally fall into those pathways. Well, I didn't know we were going to come learn about science. Do you understand that God created science? That, that real science is not in conflict with God. He decided one plus one is two. So there's some scientific ideas out there that are in conflict with God. They're wrong. God created pure science. And so when a scientist discovers something that God created, we say, oh, man, ain't they smart? Well, I think God thought it up first. But that's exactly what happens, guys. And so why, why does it take some time to change? Why does, why does a, 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 an ingrained habit take time to change? Because you have to do it a different way long enough to form new pathways. Changed by the renewing of your mind. So during this phase, you begin to understand the problem, what's really going on. You begin to understand yourself and your part in this problem. You begin to understand some of the people around you and their role in all of that. You begin to understand God and how he's working and all this stuff. You start thinking, maybe, maybe I can change. Maybe this is, is for real. And so the feelings in the comprehension phase is what I call cautiously hopeful. This idea that maybe, maybe I can, because you're beginning to understand why you acted that way, why others acted that way, and how God is helping you to think differently. Now, I've got a couple of warnings at this stage before we get into action steps, okay? Here we go. First of all, truth does set you free. Jesus said it does, and it does. Uh, but first, it hurts. Can I get an amen in the house? Being honest with ourselves about ourselves can be one of the most painful journeys that we ever go on. In fact, as I thought about this this week and was praying about an illustration to share with you on this subject, I thought of several kind of simple surface-level illustrations I could share, but the Lord dropped it in my spirit that I need to share a deeply personal story with you. Maybe some of you will relate. It was in the 90s when a group of elders that I worked with had come to trust and have great respect for their counsel. Uh, and we had a meeting, a prayer time one morning, and one of the elders looked at me and said, Jim, you know, you are really good at coming in grace, 
you're not really good at coming in truth. And Jesus came in grace and truth. And my first reaction to that was, how dare he speak to me that way? And then my second reaction was, boy, he just saw through me, didn't he? This ability to to speak gracefully, this ability to speak diplomatically, this ability to speak, uh, you know, uh, motivationally uh, came naturally to me, this ability to tell people the truth, speak the truth in love, Paul said, did not come naturally, and I found myself avoiding it. It was a tough journey for me. It was painful realization that I had to face. The second warning I have to give you is that knowing the truth and doing the truth are not the same thing. Just because you know what's going on doesn't mean that anything's changed yet. You actually have to start doing things differently. A lot of people make this mistake. They think, now that I know what's wrong, I'm fixed. Now that we know in our marriage what's been happening, we're okay now. I've had people come to me over the years and say, Pastor Jim, boy, that, that was a powerful message. That changed my life. Thank you. And I always appreciate that encouragement, but I always also know this is just stage four in the process. The only thing that's actually happened is that you've become cautiously hopeful that, uh, that you can actually change and you can get better and things can get better. You've you got some education to do. You've got to learn some things before it actually becomes a reality for you. In my case, in this particular story that I've told you, I had to, I had to go on an, on an exploration and ask myself, honestly, why is that true for me? I'm in a natural kind of uh, easy-going personality, and I like people, and that kind of stuff. But but I had another way. Had to be a deeper root issue to that, and so I explored. I actually went to a counselor a few times and asked him to help me explore that and sort it out. And here's here's what I came to. I've never shared this publicly until first service this morning, but here's what I came to. My mother um, was a wonderful, loved Jesus with all of her heart served the Lord faithfully, taught Sunday school for 50 years, went home to be with the Lord about two years ago. Um, But she was not an emotionally strong person. And my dad was, uh, his approach to it, his way of dealing with that was to say to us kids, now if you do that, you're going to upset your mother. Don't upset your mother. Oh, come on now, you're going to upset your mother. You better quit. You know your mom's going to get upset. He couldn't stand to see her cry, couldn't stand to get her upset. And so we lived on, walked on these eggshells all through my childhood. Uh, my stepbrother was here this morning in first service, and he agreed with me about the story. It's just we kind of walked on these eggshells all of our lives until I finally, it became ingrained in me, don't upset people. If you say something hard, it might upset them, so don't upset anybody. And I had to deal with the reality that I was a liar. And I had to repent. I was telling people things were fine when they weren't fine at all. Uh, They would ask me for hard truths, anything I need to know. No, no, everything's fine. No, it's good. No, it's good. And I had to face that reality and I had to repent. I had to change. But I had to learn the root before I could deal with the fruit into the comprehension phase of the change process, did I mention that the truth will set you free, but first it hurts? That knowing the truth and doing the truth are not necessarily the same thing. I came to that place 
Uh, how many of you know that when you're at an extreme and you break out, pendulums don't swing from, from extreme to balance. They swing from extreme to extreme. And so I didn't go from, uh, from grace, no truth, to balance of grace and truth. I went to truth, no grace. <laughs> And, and the staff of the church that I was leading at the time, I actually heard them say that some of them finally got the nerve to tell me that uh, the, kind of the word among the staff is anytime I said, I'd like to see you in my office for a minute, they, everybody would freeze and go, oh, no, Pastor Jim wants to see me in his office. Pray. Because <laughs> I had lost all my grace, but I was telling the truth now, buddy, and I had to find my way back to this balance of grace and truth. You can ask the bridge staff now. I think, I hope they will tell you that I'm gracious, but that I will tell the truth as I understand it because that's how Jesus came and that's who I want to be. So what am I saying? Your action step, whatever your issue is, is take every opportunity to learn. Learn all you can about yourself, about your circumstance, about the root issue. Here's what I'm saying. When you need to change, stop trying to change. Well, I'm trying to quit smoking. I'm trying to get my finances in order. I'm trying to fix my marriage. I'm trying to quit trying. Start training. Go learn some stuff you need to learn. That's why we're revamping our whole small groups dynamics around here. You'll hear a lot more about it as we get into the fall. September, we're going to be releasing a catalog of the trainings that are available, the small groups that are available across this house. We're launching a whole new wave in October. And we're going to say to you things like, if, if you've got marriage issues, then get into Marriage 101. If you've got financial issues, get into I was broke, but now I'm not. If you've got step family issues, get into the blended family small group. If, 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 if Whatever your issues are, we're going to offer you a group for it. We're going to help you with divorce care. We're going to help you with whatever the stuff, but you're going to have to learn the truth and start doing the truth in order to get free. Does this make sense? Can I tell you my hope for this place during whatever tenure I have with you is that discipleship will become the order of the day. People will come to Christ, but in fact, we will grow up and become more and more and more like Christ, and we're not going to try to get there. We're going to train to get there because comprehension of what's really going on is a huge part of the change process. Now hear me, I've got to say this and we'll move on. When those opportunities come and you understand you've been through concern, you've been through crisis, you've made the choice to do it God's way, now it's time to learn and lean in to learn. Satan is going to whisper in your ear, this doesn't apply to you. He's going to tell you you don't have time to do it. He's going to tell you those people don't understand. He's going to tell you all kinds of stuff. Why does he tell you that? Because he can read. And he knows the transformation is on the other side of a renewed way of thinking. And if he can keep you from learning, he will block you from changing. The more you know, the more hope grows. But you're still only four phases into the journey. So phase five is the conduct phase, the conduct phase. That's where your knowledge actually starts to become a part of your lifestyle. You don't just believe it, you're actually starting to live it. And this is a critical phase in this journey, which is why James said in chapter 2, verse 17, read it with me, it's on the screens, here we go. One, two, three, faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith being what you believe, whether you can hold it in your hand or not, action being what you do based on what you believe your conduct your beliefs become your behaviors which set the direction for your life so what am i what am i saying I, I, the bible calls it repentance 
You're going along the journey of life and you become aware that there's something going on, you're concerned, you come into crisis, you make a choice, I've got to do things differently, whatever your issue happens to be, I've got to do things differently, oh Lord, I've messed this thing up, oh man, this is part of me, you're learning everything about it, you're learning your role in it, and, and, and so you repent. Now some people think that means you're just sorry for what you did, but hear me, repentance and remorse are not the same thing. Remorse is sorrowful, and yes, there's often remorse with repentance, but repentance is the Greek word metanoia, meta meaning change, noia meaning your way of thinking. So repentance is I'm headed this way, I realize where this is leading me, and I'm turning around, and I'm headed this way now, I am not going to keep going. Again, I've seen it so many times, people going on the road of life, become aware of something they need to change, and they go, oh, man, I'm so sorry I did that, Lord, forgive me, I'm so sorry. But they just keep going the same way. And they wonder why life doesn't get better. It's because the abundant life was on the other side of this six-process, six-phase process that I'm trying to show you this morning. Repentance means change. I was wrong. I'm going to do it differently from this point on. Okay, I, I hear that, Jim, but, but, but I just want to do Bible study. I just want to study the Scriptures. I want to learn the stories, and I, I want to study doctrine and theology. And, and I'm here to tell you, great, by all means, study it, learn it. You, you can't do it unless you know it. I got that. But can I tell you, that it, this is my opinion. You can take this, throw it away, do whatever you want to with it. But here's my opinion. The American church is filled with people sitting in the pews who know all the biblical stories. They have parsed their theology down the line, but there is nothing in their lifestyle that says that's, that's who they are. And there's nothing in their life that attracts other people to Jesus. They got their knowledge right, but it hasn't translated to who they are. James said, faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Pastor Jim paraphrase, don't Tell me what you know. Show me what you know. Now, I need to warn you, the feeling at this phase is often frustration. Whoa, Jim, you are killing me in this sermon. Now you're telling me that I've made the choice and I've learned what I'm supposed to do and now I'm starting to live it out and I'm still frustrated? Are you kidding me? Yeah, because real change takes time. Did I mention that, that, that it takes time to read? train those pathways, those ideas in your head. So here's what happens. It's quite often I repent it, I change direction, I go three steps forward, and I take two steps back. And I go three steps forward, and I take two steps back. Am I preaching to the choir? Yeah. If that's where you are and you're frustrated, here's your word. Congratulations. You're almost through the six-stage process. You're doing great. Keep going. You may not be where you want to be, but you ain't where you were. So keep going, keep moving forward. You understand why change can be so frustrating, right? Because it's hard to repattern your thinking. It feels awkward at first. It doesn't feel right at first. Uh, don't sweat it. God says uh, change takes time. Actions have to catch up with beliefs. So the action step in phase five is commit and trust. Commit to the process and trust the God who gave you that process uh, Psalm 37, 5, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him to help you do it, and he will. Which leads us then into phase six, which is simply the commitment to continue. Now that's where concern has become crisis, 
uh, which led to a choice. You chose to do things God's way, which led to comprehension. You learned what you needed to learn about that. You began to understand the root issues about it, which started show up in, showing up in your conduct, the way you live and the things you do. But knowing that old habits die hard, old patterns will sometimes reemerge. It's not unusual for a relapse to occur no matter how far you've gone on this journey. So you've got to commit to see it through. You've got to say, I ain't going back. Many of you have commented, those of you who have been around for a while have commented on the weight that I've lost in the last year. And, and I made a commitment last fall that I was going to get healthy. If I was going to take on the role of leading you guys, I was going to get healthy. I've dropped about 50 pounds in, in about six months. And now for three, four months, I've kept that weight off. This past weekend, after 10 months into this journey, this past weekend, 4th of July gatherings, I find myself eating stuff that I haven't eaten in about a year. And when I go, what in the world are you doing? I don't know, but it's good. I'm going to have some more. And I'm just going, why, why, no. And I found myself going, ain't it just like God that I'm going to teach this at church on Sunday and I'm having to live it out during the week? Come on, Lord, give me a break. I ain't going back. So when you find yourself going through the change process, don't be surprised when Satan throws a little chink in the works. He tries to get you to, to fall back. Don't be surprised if you relapse somewhere along the way. You, you, you've been off alcohol. Don't be surprised if you fall off the wagon. Just get up and brush yourself off and go again. Get back on track because ultimately this is about a lifelong journey of making Jesus Lord of our lives. I told you. That phase five, the Bible refers to it as repentance. Phase six, we're talking about sanctification. The Bible calls it sanctification. It's this idea of being set apart for his service, of establishing him not just as Savior, the one who, who saved you from your sins and set you on the right path, but as Lord, the CEO, the life manager, the one who's in charge, where you finally say, God, I realize I'm here for a purpose. You put me here on purpose with a purpose, and the most important thing I do with my life is to fulfill the purpose for what you put me here. I want to follow you. I want your will to be my will. And hear me, guys, we will never reach a point where we no longer need that ongoing sanctification in our lives. There's a commitment point where it starts, but then there's a lifelong commitment to continue to be sanctified, to continue to grow. Paul understood that, Philippians 3.12, late in his life, he said, I haven't learned all I should even yet, but I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. So what are the feelings in phase six? We'll wrap this up. It's a mixture. There's hope. There's discouragement. There's anticipation. There's confusion. There's just all those things get wrapped up. Whoa, Jim, that sounds hard. I don't know if I want to be a Christian or not. Well, here's what you need to understand. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. Life is about getting problems, learning from those problems, getting stronger because you learned, and getting better. That's life. The only difference is, as a follower of Christ, you get the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life to get you there. That's the difference. We're still on earth, and these things are reality for us. So the action step in phase six, hear me. This is what some of you came to hear me say 35 minutes later, 40 minutes later. Here's what you came to hear me say. Don't quit. Don't quit. It's worth it. Keep going. 
Keep going through this thing. Commit to it. Galatians 6, 9, let us not get tired of doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Don't quit. Got to close. Can we walk back through the phases right quick before I let you go? Because i got one final question I need to ask you. Here's the question, and then we'll walk through them. What's the pivot point? What's the most critical phase of the six? Walk through them with me. You're concerned. Something's going on. I'm not sure I know what it is, or if I know, I don't know what to do about it. Crisis. It's risen to a level. I have to do something. Choice. Now I'm deciding whether to escape or deal. What am I going to do? Comprehension. I'm trying to learn everything I need to learn so I'll know what to do. Conduct. I start to live out the things that I've learned. Commitment to continue is even though I may slip and fall, I'm going to get up and get going again. Which is the most critical phase in all of these? Choice. Choice. It's that moment where you know something has to be done and you make a decision Am I going to do this God's way or am I going to do this the culture's way? And am I going to buy into the belief that I should be able to change overnight or nobody ever changes? Or am I going to understand that God takes us through an identifiable process and when we do it his way, choice comes? Can we pray that prayer together before I let you go? Let's bow together. We've acknowledged this morning, Lord, that we're all, uh, at least in concern phase in some area of our lives, some of us are in crisis phase, which means all of us may well be at, at the choice phase, if not now, then soon. We choose Christ. Say it with me. Say it out loud. Say it silently. I don't care. I choose Christ. Christ. Choose to do this God's way. Choose to work through this process so that, in fact, I can be better. I can find the abundant life that Jesus promised, and I can become not just an abundant light liver, but I can become an abundant life role model for others who want almost desperately to believe that it's true. Thank you, Jesus, for every person in this room, those that are watching online, we're making a commitment here and now to choose Christ. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Nobody's looking. It's just me and you and God. Maybe you've never made that choice before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever said, you know what, I, I, I want to follow Jesus. I'm not even sure all of the implications of it, but I want to do it his way then your prayer with me is, Lord, forgive me for not doing this before. Give me a fresh start right now. I want a new life. That's what he said he'd give you. Any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. So if that's who you are, just say, I choose Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to our hearts today for the change process that you're taking us all through. In Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you so much for being here on this 4th of July weekend. So glad that you're in the house of the Lord. I do pray that you'll take these phases. You'll process through them. Altar workers are coming right now. They'll be here in the altar when we finish our closing prayer time. Maybe you need to pray with somebody before you leave here today. Take advantage of that opportunity. Don't miss that chance. First time guest, stop by the VIP table. We've got to thank you for coming. Gift or love to put in your hands. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Father, thank you for the privilege of doing life your way and understanding that you will make up the difference between what we're capable of and what life is throwing at us. We're counting on it. We're depending on it by faith. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week. See you next Sunday.